Hey everyone. Today's episode features explicit discussion of sex and sexuality. If that's not your cup of tea, catch us next week or listen only as you feel comfortable. Although our focus is on love, sex, dating, and relationships, we have made the decision to avoid topics of sexual abuse and sexual violence, as we are not qualified to address this. Resources for these issues are included in the show notes for this episode. God, fucking watching any sitcom with my parents is a fucking nightmare. Because there's always going to be that one scene where someone has implied sex with somebody and they're not married. And then my dad's going to tell me why that's a sin for like 12 minutes. I'm like, God damn it. I'm trying to watch Frasier, Dad. (laughs) Sex. (laughs) Let's talk about it. As you guys already know, I grew up in a very conservative household, and sex before marriage was a big no-no. Probably the biggest no-no. My family never talked about it until I had the talk with my father. I was about 10 years old, and he called me into his office, where he was working on a fucking spreadsheet of some sort. Then he gave me a very half-assed talk about the birds and the bees, where he told me that women are like ovens and men are like microwaves. He also told me that I should only have sex with my future wife, and that was about it. Up until I was 17 years old, I was planning to wait until marriage to have sex, but then I had an epiphany. Like, what if I got hit by a bus tomorrow? Then I would never get to feel what a vagina feels like, and that would be a super bummer, you know? My dad told me and my brother a very anti-woman rhetoric growing up, telling me that they are dangerous and that I should be only pursuing strong Christian women, which is what I did from the ages of 17 to 19, where I went on a few dates with a couple of quote-unquote strong Christian women, and goddamn, they were the hardest people to talk to in the world. Talking to an extremely religious teenage girl is about as easy as shoving a frying pan up your ass, and just as painful. I eventually started dating non-religious women, much to my parents' dismay. My first sexual experience wasn't actually with a girl, though. It was with one of my childhood best friends when we were both teenagers. Basically, all he did was jerk me off in the forest, and then he got mad at me when I came on his shorts. And then we vowed to never do anything like that again. I had so much guilt after that experience because my dad would talk about how being gay was an abomination and how God hated it. When I jizzed after the hand job, I felt so much religious guilt and shame, like I slapped God across the face. I also felt a little guilty about coming on my friend's pants, but what can you do? That was one of the turning points in my faith. I didn't want to believe in a God who was mad at me for exploring my sexuality and trying to figure out who I was. I ended up losing my virginity to a girl when I was 19. Surprisingly, I didn't really have any religious guilt or shame after that experience. After the sexual experience with my friend in the forest, I never have felt as guilty or shameful about sex, which is why I'm so grateful for that experience. I've had a decent amount of sexual relationships with women, and I'm proud to say at this point that I don't really feel any sort of religious shame or guilt. When I was 20 years old, I was dating a woman for five months, 
And I was, I was at a point where I was questioning my sexuality. And one of the reasons why we broke up was because I wanted to experiment with men. And then she got super pissed. So if you're a guy listening, and you're in a relationship with a girl, and you're thinking about experimenting, you should probably do it. But don't tell the girl that's why you're breaking up. Because they will not be happy. <laughs> I did end up... I did end up experimenting with the guy, and I did not like it. So now I know that I'm straight. But I would encourage anyone who's currently going through a similar situation to what I did to experiment and to try to find out more about yourself and who you are when it comes to your sexuality. All right, I've been talking too much. You're listening to The Cure. Whoa! Um... Are we making a different show? Because that was a lot. Thanks, Tyler, for being so open, I guess. You know, it's really tough to talk about sex. It's even more difficult to take a hard look at the way mainstream messaging regarding sex and bodies and gender and sexuality have shaped our perception of self and our acceptance of who we are, or lack thereof. I think as a female stand-up comic, I can speak for all female stand-up comics when I say that I am over hearing about dicks and hand jobs and jizz and boners and etc, etc, etc. But it does make me wonder, is comedy the only means by which these guys can openly discuss sex and their bodies and their insecurities? Like, I'm not exactly looking to become a scholar on straight male sexuality. And maybe I'm reading too much into these dick jokes, but I can see the way that societal messaging and sex messes with all of us. Whatever gender you were assigned at birth, these messages are damaging. Confronting them takes time and work. And I'm confident when I say, even if we think we've conquered sexual shame, poor body image, gender dysphoria, or any of the garbage you've absorbed about these topics throughout your life, most of us haven't. And how much of this is limiting our interaction with the world, making us neurotic, damaging our self-esteem, causing us to give away parts of ourselves because it's easier, less confrontational, or more expected by society. And well, you may be surprised to learn that neither Tyler or I are experts in this field. So we called one in. In this episode, you'll hear insights from Dr. Tim Marie, a sex educator, professor of human sexuality, and host of the podcast DTF, Daryl and Tim Marie Fun Hour. So... We're going to start our conversation today by breaking down a date Tyler went on. When he came to me with this story, I have to admit that despite my better efforts, I was judging the situation pretty hard. Some background before I let him get into it. This was an internet match with someone who described herself as married and ethically non-monogamous. No problem. My partner and I are monogamous, but I have no reservations about polyamory. She was also quite a bit older than Tyler. And if you haven't gleaned this information yet, I'll tell you that I feel pretty protective of this guy. Anyway, here's our conversation. Um, all right, let's take a look. So, she is a 29-year-old psychotherapist. And I feel like that's a good choice for you. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> She's a Jungian psychotherapist. I don't know what. Yeah, it's just a. It's Carl Jung. Jung. Carl Jung yeah. was a, a psychologist. 
and she's a witch, a tarot card reader, and astrologer. This is where Tyler lost me. Oh yeah, I forgot to mention that even before this date, Tyler shared with me some of the Snapchats he was getting from this woman, one of which was a very salacious, almost threat to sit on his face and call me old-fashioned, but I definitely clutch my pearls a little. So we're like, oh, I asked her like, oh, do you want to hang out after this? And she's like, yeah. And she's I- like, duh, I said I was going to sit on your face <laughs> <laughs> on Snapchat. And then... um so she's like what do you want to do she's like my husband's at home so we can't go there and i was like okay she's like do you want to go for a drive i'm like sure let's see where this night takes us i didn't say that that's what i thought (laughs) that was my internal monologue and then so we go into her car and we just like drive for like 15 minutes and uh there's this like pond area it's like this like little like park area there's like a pond that you can look out into the pond. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, we might have smoked some uh, drugs. Marijuana? <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> just say it, Tyler. I just, I just don't want my parents to hear this. Or there are a lot that. worse drugs that you can smoke. Yeah. Be clear. And then, <laughs> so yeah, we're both a little high. And then we start like making out and stuff. And it was kind of weird, like, she wasn't the greatest kisser, I guess. Is that because she has her tongue f- forked? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then it gets, like, more intense. And then she, like, takes off, like, her shirt and stuff. And she's like, oh, we probably shouldn't do this here because this part closes in, like, five minutes. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then we drive around for, like, 20 minutes trying to find like a more secluded place at one point she just like (laughs) she like um like literally just pulls over on the side of the road she's like here we can do it here i was like no (laughs) this is like (laughs) like anyone can drive by and just see it so i'm like let's keep driving because like i'm not comfortable she was driving yeah in her car yeah and um suddenly find another place and yeah stuff happened did she sit on your face (laughs) no she didn't no okay but yeah we had sex in her car how tall are you six foot six i don't understand the mechanics of how you had sex in a car at all yeah it was Was it it was was it a school bus (laughs) 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 it was like a it was a smaller car it's like one of those like ford uh, transit. It had or a two sprinter. Doors. It was a two door. You had car. sex in a two door vehicle. You're yeah. lucky that you didn't have to call the fire department to get you both out of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like, yeah, it was very uncomfortable at points. But yeah, I wholesale, wholesale disagree with the way. Not that you handled this date. But the way that your date handled this date. Okay. Then we took it to the expert, who very gently told me that no matter my concern or value judgments, the real story and feelings and reservations cannot be known by anyone who is not there. And both Tyler and his date were consenting adults. And I should butt out with my opinions. Here's Dr. Timmery. 
Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know what it was like for y'all, but what that immediately strikes to me is somebody who either is actively looking for a situation that seems a little bit chaotic, like they want that energy. <laughs> like there's definitely a lot of times where people are, you know, they're, they're seeking a hookup that's a little bit taboo. Um, there is, there's something about the doing it in a car wildly unprepared that actually is part of the appeal for some folks sometimes. And so I don't know anything more about this person's backstory. I do like, I prefer the term consensually non-monogamous over ethically non-monogamous because that's just choosing to label yourself as ethical when that's not a thing you get to do. (laughs) You don't get to call yourself ethical. There's, you know, there's regret and then there's like, there's a difference between like, I don't think I would do that again versus like, I feel shame because I did it. And I also would be hesitant to ascribe any sort of value statement to that because like the only person who could have really an opinion on the matter are the people who are there because like, otherwise we're just going to sort of project on it. And, and that's like what happens whenever there's an age discrepancy. And I think there is definitely something to be said for like, if somebody is like 15 and an age gap, and then there's when you're both legal adults where like, yeah, sure. There's huge difference in life experience between someone who is in their early twenties and in their late twenties. Those, those are significantly different life experiences, but it's, I, I would hesitate to label any of those sort of things with the lens of my own experience at my age. Like, because mm-hmm. some of the stuff I did when I was much younger, looking back, like I sure wouldn't do it today. And yeah. I could say that I regret it if it was like a risky thing or I got in trouble or whatever. But like, we have, again, this is just carrying around so much shame and, it, and there's so much like baggage where we think that you would have to like have earned sexual circumstances. Like you have to have made enough money or have proven enough love or have whatever enough for a sexual situation to be valid when it's just literally, it's just a form of communication. Same as a conversation. And like, it can be deeply meaningful. It can be completely shallow. It can happen while you're waiting for a bus, like whatever, like it's just a form of communication and it comes with certain risks and hopefully everybody understands what is happening and is able to like shape it or leave it. And I think that that's what's important is that everybody is able to yeet out the situation if they want to. I think it's damn near impossible to develop into a healthy sexual adult. When the messages you get from your parents or your religion or from television or Judy Bloom books, actually, they may have been sex positive, but I only remember feeling scandalized. Anyway, we're taught that sex is a beautiful thing to be shared only by married heterosexual people and that virginity is to be protected at all costs or that virginity is a thing to be lost or a thing at all. All right. Then there's the whole homophobia thing many of us uh, ahem ahem are up against. And don't get me started on the deep guilt that we're taught to feel about masturbation. It's debatably, debatably, a good punchline for a joke. But a lot of people still feel like they're doing something dirty or bad. But you know, and I know, that none of this keeps people from engaging in sexual behavior. What it does do is cause deep wells of guilt and shame and depression to form, that it takes actual effort and self-reflection to undo. Yeah, like, I don't think I don't think I want to like end up with a someone that was like raised the same way as me. Mm-hmm. You know, 
Yeah. Because like I've I've tried that and it was like like weird like PTSD type not. No, I. I don't want to like throw that like word around, but like, um, like I feel like we both shared like past stuff that like we both didn't like. And uh, I feel like I was further along than she was in terms of like being like more sexually like liberated from like the ideas that I was grown up hearing and stuff. That might be the difference between being a man and being a woman too. Possibly, yeah. I, I mean, I think that it's. I don't it's know. Da- I, think it's I think it's damaging regardless. Yeah, yeah. I think it's damaging regardless. I just. But also, her dad didn't write Christian dating books, <laughs> so. Right. <laughs> I, I think that, that purity culture. Is. I think it's indefensible, regardless yeah. of whether you're a boy or a girl. I just think that. The the women are. Are sh- you know what you said like right at the beginning of this conversation that your dad made women out to be like demonic and evil yeah that somehow women are like trying to pull you off of your christian path by being so sexy and seductive yeah when really like i've met evangelical christian women they're not super sexy or seductive <laughs> They're definitely not seductive <laughs> at all. I remember. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I went on like one, like two dates with this girl. We were both evangelical Christians at this point. And it was very, the date went, like looking back, like I th- thought that was like the date went like well. Like looking back, I'm like, that was like a horrible not fun date like at all and we went roller skating so it should have been fun anyway what was horrible and not fun about it like she seemed like very like extremely like reserved about like everything and like i would like be in my head like oh don't bring up any topic that might be considered offensive to this lady (laughs) lady (laughs) it's just like literally trying to go out with like an evangelical christian and if you're not like on the same like wavelength as them it's like literally just like walking on eggshells mm-hmm. for the entire time you're with them i just wonder like how much of that has it and it's societal too it's not just it's not yeah. just what your parents did to you or what religion did to you like the societal shame surrounding sex and how much that carries into the way that we interact interpersonally or in relationships or even just you know with with people who are potential sexual partners or like potential relationships like uh i don't know i think it was was it last week where we were talking and you said like you can talk to me very freely because Mm -hmm. you're not trying like there's there's no like I'm not a person that you're trying to sleep with. Yeah. But you can't be as honest with me as you would be with a potential partner. Not necessarily. Okay. Beca- I don't know. I feel like you have to meet like the right person that you can just be completely open and honest with. 
and the people I've dated in the past, I have not been comfortable enough to open up to them with complete honesty. Mm-hmm. Because a decent amount of them were like raised religious or were currently religious, and I just like I just felt like they were gonna judge me about some shit. Right. And like that's some like shit I hate because then I feel like I'm like dating like my mom because she like I told like she's <laughs> gonna fucking judge me about some shit I did. I don't. Yeah. I, I don't think... have an Oedipus complex. I do not want to fuck my mom. No, me neither. Because my mom would be judging me while I would <laughs> fuck her. <laughs> She's like, ha, oh, this is wrong. Let's hear from Dr. Tim Marie again. Yeah. I mean, you, you pointed to a really big part of that, which is religion. Like, religion is responsible for a lot of that for Americans. But it's, it's not exclusive to religious upbringing. It, it is often just one of the frameworks because even if you weren't raised religious, you still were probably brought up with a very capitalistic idea of sexuality. So even aside from the fact that there's like a puritanical basis to the, to the founding of the US in terms of like laws around sex and gender, even aside from that, we still very much are steeped in a, an idea that like you have to look a certain way and produce certain things and uh, do certain levels of, of hard work or whatever to be worthy of like love. <laughs> that, right. that in and of itself is another form of this like shame and hatred. And, and it also feeds into that, that body shame piece, the fat phobia, the absolute lack of concern for disability uh, that's just, you know, like so entrenched. Um, capitalism and religion have really worked together to make us feel like we are not good enough and we are not valuable enough. And between those two things, we have to actively break that stuff apart. And that's, of course, on top of, you know, racism and homophobia and everything else. So, um, yeah, I mean, if, if you were raised in a religious form of sexual shame, sometimes it's easier to undo that because you can point to and be like, well, I was told the earth was 6,000 years old and now I have all this evidence to the contrary. It's a little bit easier to like start sloughing those things off. And I was also raised religious. And it's like, as soon as I started to see the Catholic church wasn't the good guy, <laughs> like it was pretty easy to sort of reject a lot of the framework, but it's harder when we have internalized these ideas of like capitalism. And I just carry that around all day for folks who are queer in some way that's very recognizable to them early on undeniable something like that that is a uh first opportunity to start breaking things apart and be like okay it turns out all these narratives aren't actually working for me don't fit my life uh and then it's much easier to start seeing the other ways in which you know, like compulsory couplehood, compulsory heterosexuality, compulsory monogamy, like um, these really narrow ideas of beauty. Like we can start seeing how all these things are actually quite optional. So it's like if you were raised, again, in a religious way and you're able to separate yourself from that, sometimes it's easier, again, to start taking things apart. So if you weren't raised religiously, you might not realize how much baggage you're carrying around still because it's like, well, I don't have religious guilt around it so i'm i'm probably not full of sexual shame but most of us are because even 
even if you did get some form of sexuality education, which many people did not, like if you were going to school uh, between like 1996 and between like, and then like the Obama administration, the effects of the 1996 Welfare Reform Act are that your school could not teach comprehensive sex ed if they wanted federal funding. So only if you went to a private school that didn't need that would you have gotten basic sex ed. And as a result, we have weird shame around body parts. Like we have all these, you know, like uh, slang terms for vaginas and for penises and for butts and uh, a lot of that is cute and it's funny and I like it, but it's also like remnants of shame and body stigma that we just were all taught from the very jump. And our parents didn't get better sex ed usually, and their parents definitely didn't get good sex ed. And it just keeps going back. And it's it's a generational curse of lacking the awareness of how much you don't know mm-hmm. that we just keep perpetuating this. There's actually a bill introduced in West Virginia this week that would ban sexuality education in public schools. I interjected here about how mystifying it is for me to see really young people exit college or even sometimes high school and choose to immediately get married. To me, that rings of young people so eager to try sex, but with so much pressure to stay pure. Yeah. I mean, that's that's definitely a big piece of it. There's also a big economic piece there, too, because I think for a lot of people, there is still messaging if you were raised as a girl that you need to be partnered in order to be financially secure, which is definitely different now because uh, as of now, actually more women go to college than men do. And there is, I guess, for some people, a crisis among heterosexuals (laughs) where the women are overeducated compared to the people they would like to date. And I don't think that's a problem because I think you just need to be like, what was the point of partnering for you? Is it literally that you just have to have like these gender roles? If so, then I guess that sucks for you. You narrowed your, your, your pool of, of potentials. Or we could just reimagine what masculinity and femininity are and not tie them to these really arbitrary things like money, um, which is not a biological construct. It's not like a necessary component of being a person like yeah if we if we reimagine what the purpose of sexual relationships are and the purpose of marriage is um we're freed up from a lot of that stuff where people just end up trapped in uh yeah again the compulsory monogamy the compulsory heterosexual relationships all that kind of stuff i think a really big piece of all of that and whether it be body image or sexual shame or whatever is identifying and focusing on pleasure. And so rarely is pleasure discussed as a part of sexuality education, and yet it is ostensibly the point. (laughs) And like, when we do sexuality education, a lot of it is just talking about like, what can you do to avoid bad outcomes, which is a very weird way to teach about it. Because that would be like, if driver's ed was only about... Um, you know, what to do when you, when your car breaks down. And that's not really the experience of driving. Like what you should know how to do is how to steer, (laughs) how to accelerate, how to decelerate. And, you know, how, like how to actually operate a vehicle. That should be a part of the education. And you should also know what to do when it breaks down. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But if we only focus on STIs and unwanted pregnancies, we're really missing the experience of being a sexual person. And we don't talk about pleasure. We, especially if there's this like religious tone to it, may actually think that it's bad and unhealthy and selfish to focus on pleasure. But it doesn't mean that our motives are somehow less selfish if we don't do that because we still are going to have all of our basic human needs and wants and boundaries. So we're still going to continue to exist. But if we don't do the work of thinking it through, we're just going to carry around that knapsack full of garbage and unaware of what we're projecting onto people and how we are being jerks because like we'll do stuff like I'm not getting my needs met. So then I'm not going to do it for other people or I'm not going to respect other people's boundaries because I don't respect my own and stuff like that. So I think it comes, it comes down to like, do you feel like you have total ownership over your body? Do you feel like you have the first and last word on what happens to it? Do you feel like you are your, your first and best lover ultimately, because like that is great. That's a good place to start to be like, there's that saying is like, if, if you don't love yourself, you know, how can anybody else love you? And that's not correct because you can, you, you're lovable even if you don't love yourself. Even if you feel like garbage trash, you're still lovable. But that said, if you don't believe it, if you don't understand it, it's harder to accept it from other people. And so I think that, that I would like to strongly encourage among people is like masturbating as though it's a full-blown gourmet date experience. Treat yourself the same way you would if you were like super stoked to go on a date. Like mm-hmm. spend time luxuriating, doing whatever it is that makes you feel foxy. Like if you like shaving things or if you like washing or baths or, you know, blasting your music or whatever, and then treating time with your own body with the same level of care and like excitement that you would with someone else. Like if you can't do that, if you can't imagine that, why not? I find it helpful to look at the history of how we've conceptualized sexual orientation. This is a, a, a talk that I give fairly frequently, and I start it by asking people, when were heterosexuals invented? Because there's an actual answer to that question. When were heterosexuals invented? And it was like prior to 1865, the term did not exist. And the concept of being heterosexual or homosexual um, were really not what we would consider today at all through that lens. What we used to do historically is sexuality and marriage had more to do with your social role, had more to do with class status, and that includes gender and race and obviously like wealth. And like depending on where you were in the, in the strata, determined what you got to do. And the lower you were in the strata, the less you were in charge of of your own life. And it is only because we have increasingly decoupled marriage from a financial structure. It still very much is, but we have separated it. And that has done two things. And one, it has allowed us to live lives of our own design to a much greater degree. And the more and more freedom we get, the more variety we get in sexual orientations and in gender expressions. The more you just let people be, the more it turns out that we have always across the the whole globe been interested in a whole lot of stuff. We are a very interesting species. We can be turned on by so many things. We can be excited by a lot of stuff. And there's one piece of it. And the other piece of it is that we have increasingly come to rely upon 
our romantic sexual partner to fulfill a bunch of emotional needs, <laughs> which is not an expectation we had of them like a couple hundred years ago. But Esther Perel talks about this a lot and how we now have these expectations for our romantic partner to be our best friend, to be our domestic equal, to be our like recreational partner, to be our co-parent, to be our like, you know, financial partner, like all of these things. And then also still be this exciting source of sexual excitement, which is way too much pressure to put on a person. Mm -hmm. So I would like us to just look at that on the, on the scale of backwards to now and see that it is going to continue to change and continue to expand. And what we can learn is the diversity of human sexual desires, the diversity of human uh, gender expressions is... We have no reason to believe that there are limits to that. There's probably as many genders as there are people on the planet, really. And as many sexual orientations, really. Because these labels are, they're, they're meant to help us find each other and to, to help share language. But, you know, my bisexuality is different than someone else's, etc. And we can just continue to think about it expansively like that. And then also think of relationships expansively, too. And being less about trying to find someone for a job, to be your partner, like that you have like a job listing and you're going to look for someone to fill it and much more about just meeting people and finding out what they're about and seeing what you vibe on. And that's one of the really nice things about um, non-monogamy is that you don't expect someone to fit that whole checklist because that's not, that's not what that's about. Instead, it's, it's like meeting people where they are, finding out what they're into, what's cool about you, what do you think's cool about me? What can we share together that is interesting to us? Whether it be like, we like hiking, or we like horror movies, or we like fucking in this particular way, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So I just strongly encourage people to think about it from this much more pulled out meta historical perspective and to not get stuck in the particular time in which we are. Hey, real quick. I know we can't put a bow on all this. These wounds can run deep. When we think we've confronted all of our shame, we've read the books, learned the language, embraced pleasure. At least for me, there's always monsters lurking around corners. Or maybe there's a partner battling their mixed messages about sex and body and sexuality. There's a whole advertising industrial complex feeding us solutions for our shame at the same time they reinforce it. There are institutions developed around the idea that sex is morally corrupt and will lead to eternal damnation. These are mechanisms of control. It tells you that you're not good enough, that your body's not good enough, that your desires are depraved. It tells you that your one true love is out there and if you save yourself for them, maybe they'll buy you this very expensive rock and you too can be fulfilled and happy. It tells you that a person, preferably a heterosexual person of mainstream attractiveness with no disabilities and objects, not a mindset, not loving and caring for yourself, not a deep connection with yourself. That's what they tell you is the key to happiness. And those things are lies. We focus today on addressing and overcoming sexual shame, which is only a piece of this mental health puzzle. But you can definitely see how it touches all the other pieces. So if you want monogamous love, great. If you want many partners, great. If you want no partners, if you identify as asexual, if you're queer, if you're fat, if you're disabled, or any of the number of things that the world makes us question and feel insecure about, fuck them. For real. Fuck them. 
If you or someone you know is struggling with severe depression or thoughts of suicide, we recommend that you reach out to your local crisis intervention service or contact the National Suicide Hotline at 1-800-273-8255 or text TALK to 741741. And remember that you deserve to give and receive love. There is no shame and pleasure, and your sexual expression is valid and pure. And you're so funny. You're so goddamn funny. Thanks for listening, everybody. You can find more from Dr. Timory by going to sexwithtimory.com. There you'll find all the social media links, links to sexuality topics in the news, a little porn, as well as registrations for shows and workshops. Also make sure to listen to DTF, Daryl and Tim Marie Fun Hour. Check the links in our show notes. Also, we've been overwhelmed by the positive feedback we've gotten for our show. Thank you so much. If you want to help out, you can rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Thanks again. Bye-bye. My palate is like basically just Arby's (laughs) and like I can't handle the fancier meats and cheeses.